Hello and welcome to The Social. I'm Christopher Gallagher and I'm joined by Christian Wolf. Hello, Christian. Hello, Christopher. Yes, I've been lured to this establishment. I don't know what I'm going to be talking about, but I'm here. Yes. I'm square, as, as you pointed out. Well, you pointed out yourself yeah, as you, well. Yeah, you confirmed it. To be fair. So. Um, I've repurposed The Social, okay. which originally was just you know myself and Christian in a sort of midweek chat about how Celtic had been doing. I've repurposed it. Christian doesn't really know what we're going to be doing today. Um... There is no agenda. Wow. There is no rundown. And it's I, like jazz. Yeah, it's like, you know, we're, we're playing... This is... We're you're Duke Ellington, I'm Miles Davis. Okay, that's the two most the famous Stockholm. jazz people, yeah. It's the one, too, I know. <laughs> um, but, yeah... Bird, Bird Parker, he's one. Yes. I've seen Whiplash. Yeah, I was going to say, you've definitely yeah, seen, seen Whiplash. Yeah. Um, so, basically what I wanted to do was I wanted to get Christian here and just chat, because... Normally when we have these social, it's reams and reams of paper and reams and reams of rundowns and we put all this stuff down and we really... What you're saying is I prepare. Is that what you're saying? You do, you do. I also prepare quite a bit. Um, But I wanted this one to be a little bit more relaxed and just kind of shoot the shit. And I also, Christian, I want you to be really honest about everything I'm going to say and everything I'm, I might ask oh, you. Do, do, oh, careful what you ask me, if you well, want me to be honest. that's why we're here. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just thought we'd, we'd give this a go. So, the first question I've got for you is, what are your actual thoughts on the season? My actual thoughts on the season? Talking at the top of the mic, man. I'm talking to the mic. This is the, the show so classic, me not talking to the mic. Actual thoughts on the season so far is... And we can strip away all the stuff about progress and all that. Have you been disappointed with how we performed in the Champions League? I've been... It's, it's going to sound like a social media answer. I've been encouraged by some of it, and I've been worried by other parts of it in the Champions League. So my main thing, if you listen to the Beyond the Scoreboard and stuff like that, is that I think it's defensively for Celtic, and especially how they... Def- how they defend in, in the block, you know, the distances between attack, midfield, and defense, the aggressiveness, but it's aggressiveness without coordination at yeah. times. Yeah. So I think that's my worry. And one school of thought for that is that Celtic is not aggressive enough in that the whole team commits. So that's one school of thought. The other school of thought, which I probably mean, I think they need to. It hasn't been coordinated enough. It hasn't been tactically drilled enough. And it's difficult, right? And it's a lot to do with that you're not faced with this at all. But I think in Champions League level, you need to be able to do that. So you either moderate yourself a little bit or you actually just go full Ange ball, I guess, in terms of the midfield and everybody pressing up. And, and maybe even more aggressive is a simpler message because then... You know, I was speaking to somebody the other day in terms of saying, if you tell, if you give the players the chance not to press and decide themselves when, they maybe stop pressing a bit less. <laughs> uh, so, you if your boss says you don't have to do as it, much yeah, work, it, well, essentially. So, but I think it's fallen in between the two. And defensively, I thought Celtic lacked that. Not even just experience, but the the, the tactical organization and drilling defensively. Offensively, I thought they were great. I think great, they, really. Overall, yeah. In terms of the chances they created and, and everything, yeah, I, I think. What does, they it did, frustrate, they does it not frustrate you that we? And then, listen, I totally get the. It's better to be creating chances and yeah. all that. I totally understand that. I get the logic of that. But you're not frustrated that we didn't score more goals. 
Like, when do we start looking at the strikers and start I'm, saying maybe? I, I'm, I'm frustrated that I don't win the lottery, even though I don't buy a ticket. But it's you know that's uh, what you can do is create chances. You know that's it's easier to create chances than score goals, if that makes sense. So as long as you create chances, Christopher. But if it's easier to create chances than score goals, yeah, I, okay. I, I, well, I, I mean, I, your, I just it's your system could be working perfectly, and you still might not score goals. So see the in po- terms of the finishing. Yeah, right. see, see on the point about like what you're saying there about how defensively maybe not well drilled enough. Is that the manager's fault then? Because here's my other point about this, and by the way, we are just this is just having we're just going rogue. There is no rundown, as I say. I see that. Um, you, you got that glint in your eye, saying <laughs> I've gone rogue today. But see, like um, Ange, right? Um, he had, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of people's opinion, had so much time and so much opportunity. He's probably had it easier than any Celtic manager who've qualified for the Champions League, and that. From the end of the season right up to the first game, they only had four games. They only had four domestic games before we started the Champions League. And you've got all that time and space. You, you and Alan always talk about how it's really hard with training, with rest days and all that, and getting back up to speed, how it's hard to drill ideas into players' minds mid-season. I completely understand that. But don't you think that... If the if we're not if we're not doing and the right stuff at the back, it's down to the manager. Like, when does the manager start get copping a little bit of flack? Well, the, the manager should get the credit and the criticism. You know, it, it, eventually. You know, and especially we talked about this on, on the review yesterday. Especially a manager that has been at least ad, ad, outwards been given carte blanche in terms of transfers. Not carte blanche, but you know, I mean, it's, it's not. He's saying it's his players. He's you know he's the players he wants to bring in, and that's who's in the system. So, I it was almost a but there. <laughs> no, but o- organizational advice, it's difficult, right? Because you can give us simple measures in terms of the pressing and say it could be aggressive, but then you have to be able to adjust that and see what's not working, or you need to spend a lot more time in the actual the pressing triggers when to go, how to drop, and so on. And for me, and you can say, okay, they weren't aggressive enough or they were too aggressive, but it, organizationally, it wasn't at the level it needs to be. So that you, you the, that's down to the players as well. It's obviously down to the players as well, right? It's down to the players making individual errors. It's yeah. down to the fact that we had Jens and Welsh. Like, I completely understand that there's a lot that goes with Celtic over the last two months that has seen us lose to Leipzig and all that and I really think that dented our confidence so I've got a lot of let's for Ange I absolutely do and I'm I'm not going to be critical of him because I do think he's doing a good job but at the same time the probably the Shakhtar game away from home is the one where I think needed to win that yeah really so, so first of all what he's trying to do is difficult right and, oh, it, no, and no it takes time and you can pick any example you want look at Arsenal Right, this season. They've had two, three seasons under a teta that was maybe underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. But because they had a long term plan and they stuck to it and they've gone out stayed in the match and bought players he wanted, you reap the benefits of that. So it's that long term vision. So I think this season was a good step overall. There's defensive issues. But you do come back to the fact that the chances Celtic created and conceded were no less than what Leipzig did. And they were far better than Shakhtar. 
So I think it's that case of obviously results matters, but you need to see beyond that in terms of the progress actually made. I think this is stuff you can criticise on. I think this, the uh, what, would you, what would be your main criticism outside of the defence? I mean, the defence and attack is, is, is linked, right? I think so defensively, there was too much space for Leipzig and Shakhtar to exploit. I think on the individual level, I think it's certain... You mentioned Shakhtar. What happens in Shakhtar, I think why Celtic concede, is because they get... They're not... They get a bit safe and a bit almost a bit cowardly in terms of playing, you know, and it's... They kind of let Shakhtar into it by not keep probing, keep pressing, keep playing outwards... The centre-backs start going back to the goalkeeper and it gets kind of... They fall down at certain critical point, which, my big criticism last year, was that Celtic did the same against Rangers. Away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in, in the semi-final as well. So they're still at the stage where in certain parts of certain games, there seems to be a lack of braveness and a lack of, of trusting that. And I think that's my main criticism last season as well was... Against, in those games against Rangers, stop playing. You know, it kept going long. You know, it fell too low, and it's not brave enough. And but but defensively, it it is difficult. I think you need you need to be able to pick this up and improve it for next season. Because if you play like that defensively in Champions League next season, I think you're depending on the teams the finishing obviously but you're likely to have the same thing so it needs to be improved but I think it's a good I think it's a good step I think obviously you know Greg Taylor's been I know we, we joked and all that um, but Greg Taylor's been excellent and he's been really, really I never good. joke about Greg Taylor uh, yeah, deadly yeah. serious you jumped on a, a bandwagon before it was a bandwagon and good Look, for you we built that wagon <laughs> Jesus, just um, like Journey see, built a city. Oh, no, that's not was the that's, Journey built a city. That's, uh, that's Jefferson, Jefferson Starship. Okay, so they also built the bandwagon. Yeah, sorry. Um, see, on Greg Taylor, right, being great, right? Everyone can see that. Yeah, Juranovic. Now, statistically, I, I don't know what the stats say about Juranovic, but can you understand why people are now the, like everything in Celtic, the Celtic universe yeah it's so black and white it's so you know one and zero he's either the best fullback in the world or he's the worst fullback in the world it's all very analog or you know it's it's insane digital more yeah. no. um your digital ones and zeros is digital right I, there's a word for it i can't remember the word I, i'm um, trying to type out the morse code <laughs> right now that's why i'm <laughs> trying to get the dots and zeros um do you think he's been as bad as everyone says no I, 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 uh, he, I mean, see Leipzig away. He is that just up because of the opposition? Do you think? I don't think he's bad at Leipzig away at all. I think this this what people remember Jan, which oh, so there's a lot of stuff like coming in here. Let's take it a step back. The difference between Greg Taylor and Josef Ranić last season was not that big. It really wasn't. So Josef Ranić, I think, is this season. It's not much off what it was last season. I don't think Greg Taylor is much off what it was this season, but it's everything around that. You know, my favorite pet word, the narrative, that suddenly Greg Taylor is, is the greatest, even though he's doing a lot of things he was doing last season. And US Rangers is, you know, is, his head's gone. He's on the way out. He's, you know, he's checking by Croatia on his big money move. Whereas if all the games I've watched 
this season again and again. Uh, Josip Ranovic does pretty much the same things he does last season. I think that's so much narrative spun around that people see what they want been, to I see. I think he's been sloppier. I, 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 don't I think he was sloppy last season as well, but people were so enamored with him. They didn't really pick it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I love him. I think I, I think he's great. I would not in any way. There's talk that, you know, there's deal, the um, contract negotiations have broke down. He's still got like three years left of, left of his deal and stuff. Like, calm down, everyone. But, like, I, I still love Jay-Z. I think he's our best full, if, yeah. best right back, certainly. Um, but I do think he's been sloppier. Even just, for, just from watching it at Celtic Park, I, I, it just looks like... I don't think his head's gone or any of that nonsense mm-hmm. at all. I don't think he's playing to his full potential, and that, maybe that's true of all of them, right? But he's a little it, bit sloppy, are we? I think. Well, of course. First of all, he's I think Tony Rasson started seven out of the nine last nine league games. Yeah, what's that about? <laughs> well, that's another we can go into. But Juranovic has had two, three moments in the Champions League. Shakhtar um, away, obviously with Modric. Leipzig away, and it's the other one I can't. Um, Shakhtar at home as well or you know where the goal the runs have come on his side right and Mondrick beats him to the ball <laughs> yeah, and Cuckoo be. b- beats him to the ball but uh, you also go first of all there's things there's elements in those attack against Celtic the mistakes Celtic make are bigger before Juranovic get involved yeah, and yeah, also the, that's true. the quality of the pass the quality of the, the timing on the run yeah. The player. I mean, that's... And Kuka and Mondrick is two players that, in a few years, Elite. could easily be one of the best in the world. You know? So, and he's... So, I think any right-back you put in that situation, it's, it's got to get the same results. But people remember those big moments. And that's fair enough. You know, keep big moments are, are, are crucial. But he's... I think he's, he's a great right-back. I mean, the... the capability he has to take the ball and run with it and progress it is sensational and he, he's got an intensity he's got um you know an, an awareness i think overall positioning but there was still stuff like this last year as well remember um that Ibrox game you know oh, for yeah. the first that, that's that's a bigger mistake your did than any mistakes anything he's done totally, this isn't t- he totally switched off so that can happen you know so but that's why i'm saying he wasn't. You have this narrative that oh, last season Greg Taylor was. Your eh, is great, and this season is opposite. But was, Greg uh, Taylor was terrible last year. It was the worst. Greg Taylor at Celtic was a key part I, I to Celtic season last season. The, the, he, again, people maybe remember Bulldoglimt, right? But that was yeah, one of his few, <laughs> few bad moments, and that's not his strength. Greg Taylor was integral to Celtic last season. They were, think, they were a lot better team when he played last season. I don't think anyone would deny that. I, th- I think well, a lot of people will deny that. Well, yeah. Um, I, I did a live show. I don't know if you were there. I did a live show this summer. Yeah, I where think. I argued for Greg Terry as player of the year, if you strip away Kyogo and Pal McGregor. And who's laughing now? Who's probably nobody's laughing? But <laughs> I, I think you know. <laughs> people just you know. Oh my god! Um, just was that, that wrong? Mm, maybe a bit, but not <laughs> not by much. Not that much, right? God, you hold on to these fucking things and you just Oh, I keep receipts, mate. Don't you worry. Got a um, big filing cabinet. Uh, God, I hate that phrase, receipts. I hate, I hate modern language. You hate modern language? Okay. No, I like, I like modern studies. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 do, I don't know. I just hate, like, all that fucking... Ugh. Anyway, anyway. Um, my point is, 
here's another wee point I've got okay. for you, Christian. Okay, Duke. Realistically, mm-hmm. does Ange Ball... Will Ange Ball work with these players and with the, the markets that we shop in for us to do anything in the Champions League? Now, Euro- Europa League, I think we've got... I think with, with a lucky draw and stuff, I think we could go pretty far under Ange Ball. I, I really do. I think, obviously, that's a, a league below. Um, but with the market we kind of shop at, and by the way, I don't, this isn't a, a shot at Ange. This isn't even necessarily a shot at the club overall. Is it just that realistically we probably won't be in a situation where we can challenge even to get into the last 16? Or is that is that too cynical? I don't no, know. No, I, I, I don't even think it's an Angeport thing. I think whatever style of play you, you choose, if Celtic's resources are used to almost optimal um, effect, then yes, you'll have a really good chance of getting through to the last 16. And that, that goes for playing... You know, low block and defensively, as it does with with Anshpool. I don't think there's there's a difference with that. I know what you're trying to get to in terms of playing attacking football. is seen as maybe more difficult in the Champions League, but I mean, it probably is. Like, yeah. I want I want Celtic to play this style of football. I love this style of football. I'm very frustrated, but I think it's the right way to go. Well, I, I don't because think I think if you line up with fucking eleven men behind the ball and you can see their goal within the first five minutes, you're gubbed. So yeah. what's the point? I, I think I think you. Just as much chance of doing it this way than than any other way, but it just it needs to be. You need to be full in on it, and that's not just not the team; it's the players you have, but the whole club and how everything is structured around it. It comes back to the same thing. Like we like the way Ange plays because we like that type of football. But I'm not saying that's the only way Celtic can be successful in Europe. They can pick another method and structure the whole team and the club around it. Any. You know, if you do it, you can get success that as well as well. But then, you with Celtic, you there's two things you have to combine it with domestic success, which is you have to play such possession based football in in Scotland because the teams are going to sit back really. So it, it doesn't make change to switch it that much in Europe. You can moderate it a bit, and I think ideally you 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 could have done that defensive organisation better, as I said. But also the other part is you play in the Scottish League, right? So if you're uh, even Club Bruges, as we talked about as an example, or Ajax or anybody else, while they might be the best team in their league, there's a lot more competitive league, right? So they don't have that transition between domestic and league. That is so big. And that's not just the quality of players you face, it's the style you face as well. So that transition is always going to be difficult. But then again, if you go more defensively in Europe, is that going to translate well domestically? We see with Rangers, it hasn't really. We, we've, so, been, we've been covering together, you, you've been part of the Cynics since about 2014, 15, right? 14. Me and Ronnie came in at the same time. Do you think... You, Celtic hired Ronnie, you hired me. Who <laughs> <laughs> stuck around? <laughs> Thank you for your loyalty. Um, do you think... I, I'd just like to get your opinion on the standard of Scottish football since then. Do you think it's fallen off a cliff? Do you think it's better than it was in 2014, 15? What's your thoughts? Because I can't quite tell, because I've been in it for so long. Oh, no, yeah. No, I'm probably the same. I think... Because it I seems think, to I, be I, shit now. I, I think I it's... Don't, not shit, that's that. I just I get frustrated well, when I see it's like, ragdolled uh, in Europe, man. Why do you compare it to, though? Because like, it is... One thing is the money. So uh, I tell you, difference between even 2014 and now, the disparity in, in money between clubs 
the bigger clubs, especially in England, but elsewhere in Scotland, it's bigger, right? But I do think there is at least an element of some clubs finally trying to do different things recruitment-wise. Maybe not tactically. I think that's maybe the tactical outlook and, and the coaching outlook is probably where it's still lagging a bit behind, right? So who would you say is like young, dynamic coach coach in Scotland that is maybe slightly innovative? Innovative. And, and that's difficult, right? I mean, that was Jack Ross five years ago. Uh, yeah, but he's, he's not... I mean, just, but Brendan Rodgers was creaming all over him, remember? Yeah. Uh, he's um, that, so so it's, it's, I, I think... I think it's probably slowly happening, but I think that's the main issue with Scotland, like the the lack of tactical curiosity, I guess, and trying. But then you need to structure the whole a lot of the club around that, and you need to see kind of size of it a motherwell a little bit maybe. But you would you'd really want a club essentially. Or you don't want Hearts to succeed, but that Hearts, Aberdeen, and Hibs. That's clubs that can easily dominate the rest of the league apart from Rangers and Celtic, and they can. Have you can bring a tactically? It doesn't have to be a young coach, but you can do so much more. You can be more creative. And I think all those three clubs have elements of of trying to use a lot more wider outlook in the recruitment. That doesn't just mean stats; it means like just hiring specific people who they look all over. And you know, Aberdeen's got the American influence, uh, Hips as well, I guess. So uh, if I think that's you need clubs like that. Who, but look at look at who, Hib- I think Scottish club can do better with the budget they have. Look at Hibs though, right? So obviously they bring in um, Jack Ross is sacked. They bring in Sean Maloney. <laughs> they pull the plug on that as quickly as they can, yeah. and then they say we're doing a, an innovative kind of recruitment drive, and we've went to the four corners of the globe, and they get an absolute loser in Lee Johnson, who's done absolutely. I mean, I know a little bit about Bristol City because it's because of Claire yeah. and um, some of her friends down down in Bristol were like, this guy is a chump. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, and that's like an American owner who's trying to be like, talking about how Scottish football needs to move with the times and all this, and then he goes and get Lee fucking Johnson. Like, yeah, it sums it up. Yeah, and you, you can say you're innovative and you're, oh, we're doing this and we've got some data, guys, but it needs to be throughout the whole club, right? And it needs to be, you need to do your due diligence with your coach as well, you have to do that and then stick with them, and this is what they do, and, and build everything around that, and build that structure. So if, if the coach leaves, you can bring in somebody similar. So I, I think it's that Scottish clubs, you know, they don't have huge budget, but so you have to be able to be innovative with the Work money you have. Smart or not harder. Just be curious. Yeah, you know, and 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 s- try and stick with it because Aberdeen. Hips and Hearts, I think they're absolutely underperforming. I mean, they, they bring in crowds of like 15,000. That's a good crowd pretty much anywhere yeah. in Europe. It's how the top five, you know, and the money. And, you know, so you should be able to do better with that. And I think that's... It. So, to bring it back to Celtic, I think Celtic is always going to be in a position where re- that transition to Europe is really difficult when you play 38 league games and only six group stage matches. What Celtic need to do is either the league needs to get a lot more competitive quicker. I don't, I don't think it really will. They need to play more games in Europe, essentially. And, and that means for Celtic's purely 
you know, from self-interest, they should be pushing to pay for the group stages in Europe to be a lot more, you know, 8, 10, 12 games. I think that's the only way you can kind of bridge that without doing something structurally with the league. If Celtic were offered the opportunity to leave Scotland to go to another league, would you think they should take it? <laughs> Honestly? But, like, from a sporting perspective, yes. But that's, it's, it's not just about the sporting perspective, though. Like, the, the, it should be a club should be bigger than that. So, I, I don't really like that idea in terms of, okay, just put them in England, because I, I can no, see no, why people... Yeah. But if... I'd rather you kept the Scottish League, but the league football was less games, right? See if you could play 12 games in Europe and 26, 28 league games. That would be different. And obviously you can't really marry that with what is best for the rest of Scottish football because all of them can't play in Europe. But it's uh, with the situation it is today, 38 league games, six, eight group stage games... You, you need to be near perfect in everything you do to compete in Europe, and you're always going to have that element of you you can't attract a certain amount of players. It's one thing, but also the competitive nature of the league. Unless your league is competitive, that is going to hurt you in Europe. See, so. if you know, I look at what's happening with the sort of NFLification. Yeah. of European football or just Americanization of European football. Uh, see if there's something that I think might happen. And again, we're shooting the shit. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But I think you might have a regionalized Europe where you have a Northern, Northern Conference, Southern Conference. Do you think that that's realistic? I mean, because these clubs need money. Because I was reading a thing yesterday about how much debt they're in. And we all know the Barcelona situation, but Juventus lost 235 million quid last yeah, season. Like, true. these clubs are hemorrhaging money to the point where they're going to have to come up with something. I, and in a way, I just hope, you know, the arses collapse because of it and, and as yeah. well. But I, I think, as we talked about before, UEFA is a very bureaucratic organization that's all about the compromise. You know, they're a bit like the EU in, in, <laughs> in terms of. Uh, I don't think there will be a Super League in that such, but I think, as you say, there could be a regionalization and in terms of that you have your national leagues, but there's a structure above that. So say, you know, the top league in, say, the Nordic countries would be a Nordic league and then the second tier would be regionalized. Norway, Sweden, Denmark. You know, there's not all the regions you can do that, but it's either that or you start to introduce... Uh, what you can see there is relegation promotion in the European competitions. So you play, maybe you have four or five European competitions, but it's essentially a league. You know, the Champions League is the top one, the Europa League, the Conference League. Don't know what you can call the fourth one. Uh, but in the sense that you play, a lot more teams play games in Europe. And maybe that is a bit regionalized. Maybe you have a, a regionalized Europa League, which is the second tier, for example. Just shooting the shit here. Just yeah, do yeah. some jazz. Love it. You know, um, and maybe that becomes part a bigger part of your season. And then your league games will be a, a lesser part of the season because most of your teams have, you know, more European games. And then maybe you structure the league so, you know, the bottom part of your league plays, you know, against each other and then some of the other teams comes in. So that's that kind of bastardized version is maybe how you end up with it because I don't think anybody's, except the highest elite, is 
it's gaining much from the way it's structured at the moment. Um, <clears throat> obviously, we've got the uh, transfer committee will be making a, a, a comeback next uh, next week. Uh, ne- not next week, sorry, next month. And we've got a couple of things lined up as we always do. Um, Selic's transfer, Selic. That's how laid, laid back I am. Selic. Selic, <laughs> right. Um, Celtic's transfers and stuff, right? I was wondering about this in regard to your ideal Celtic running at full pelt and full maximum and all that. Yeah. Do you think that's unrealistic? Because I do. It's it's unrealistic in terms of the hierarchy and the ownership of the club. Yes, I, I, I it's, it's you could not easily do it, but Celtic could be set up in a way that that's done. They have the resources, they have the name, and um, to be able to, to bring in that competence to do it and to do it successfully. But with this hierarchy, no, I, I think it, I think it comes down to the. You know the the major shareholder in Dermot Desmond that he, uh, unless he has that vision for the club, it's not going to happen. And I think from the outside, it seems like he he likes to have that control over it, and he wants to not give up that much control. So you have everything that's run according to his wishes. You know, he's <laughs> a major shareholder, but if you have somebody in charge, that I, I don't think it will happen to that the fullest degree as long as he's there. If you were given the opportunity yes. for Celtic to bring in a structure that works, yeah. director of football and new first team coach, but we get rid of Ange, Postacoglu, would you take this it? This is like the world's worst polls or something <laughs> like that. Is that well, um, no, no, like I mean, if Celtic turn around and says, okay, do you know what? We're going to go in another direction and we're going to... Ange Postacoglu, he's on a rolling contract anyway, so he's going he's going to leave at the end of the season, and we're going to bring in a director of football, uh, and it's going to be I don't know, someone, a prominent German kind of thoughtful <laughs> guy or whatever, and we're going to go and get the Brentford coach, and he's going to be the new coach, and we're going to take in the Brentford structure because I want to talk about that in a moment. But if that was going to happen at the end of the season, would you? What well, I mean, what would you do? How would you well, act? first of all, I'll take longer to implement. But yeah, for the long-term sustainability of the club, you need to run in like a modern football club that that squeezes, you know, who are innovative, innovative, who are curious, who wants to be able to, to squeeze every single resource out of it. And what Celtic do is when they get somebody like Ange, who's, who's really good and he's really popular, they just give him all the powers because it's easy for them, but also it's it's a blanket for them to say, oh, well, the manager's in charge. That's what you want, isn't it? He makes all the decisions. Oh, it didn't go well. You know, so, yeah, overall, on the long term for Celtic, it's better to have a structure in place where you have an overarching philosophy, an idea, and everything is done. You still need to pick the right head coach. Like, you look at Leipzig, for example, who's, who's supposed to have all that, and they've had four coaches in the air, you yeah. know? You, mean, you still need to make the right decision. It's not, and just because you hire a director of football in this, it doesn't mean it's automatically going to be great, you know? See, the director of football, does he choose the coach, or is it... Oh, he should do. Yeah, so that's his main job, to choose the coach. Well, he, he's... You can call it many different things, technical director, director of football, but there needs to be somebody who's have an overall vision for the club, and he, you, you pick the right head coach... Depending on that structure, that's playing style. It's commitment to youth, if you want to have that. It's the tactical setup, and somebody who's comfortable with running within that. Because if you give too much power to the manager, as we've seen with Brendan, Brendan, with B Rod, if you've seen with that, if you put all the power with the manager, when the manager leaves, are you going to bring a guy in, same guy to do that? I mean, you've already been through that. So I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm 
terrified what they're going to do with when Ange goes. Because you know with Ange, you got a guy in there, like with Rodgers, that knows his stuff, and he's overall you know, the most competent person in the whole club hierarchy. There's nobody in this club who's got more knowledge and about running a football club, I, I think, in, in terms of like the, the first team in recruitment and Ange Postecoglou as this club, just as Brendan Rodgers was the most competent one. And that's an issue, I think. If your manager is the most competent person in terms of recruitment or having the say in that, that's not good. Like Because the manager is, is, is transient. He's going to be leaving at some point. Uh, so you, you can't put too much of the club structure on the manager and too much power because it's going to fall down. And you can just look at what's happened with Celtic. And I think, what are they going to do after this? Who are they going to hire? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, so are they, are they going to go and hire... Paul Lambert, that's who they'll say, hire. Say they hire Paul Lambert. Are you going to give Paul Lambert the authority to bring in the players, the exact players he wants? The authority to disregard any sort of transfer structure or recruitment? Oh, he changed his style. He's going to play a bit more defensive. So I want, and I, you know, this guy I used to coach in Norwich. Something, are you going to do that? Because, and then if he doesn't have the same focus on analysis or sports science, okay. So, but who's looking after that? And so, the head coach should be looking after the tactical evolution of the team, developing the players, and finding the right solution against the next opponent. They shouldn't worry about the transfer strategy, the recruitment. They shouldn't be able to watch Australia Peru and said okay Aaron Moy he's the guy you know he just shouldn't even if that works they shouldn't so well, so, so that's you know you, you still can't have a process where you give the manager's players he, he doesn't want or doesn't need but if the manager should say I want this playing type this type of player and you go okay here's five players we think we're really good you know what you, you try to get the one at the top and then you work your way down and do you have a preference because these five guys have been through this process we think they will work we'll think we can get them we'll think they'll they a good age profile do you want any of them and then you can kind of go yeah I prefer him or that one or actually I think we need something that, that's fine you can't force the player on on a manager he doesn't fit and he doesn't want but you also can't give him free reign and bring in anybody he wants well the manager forces certain players on us uh, and one of them is Adam Boy <laughs> yeah but like what I don't understand so like see from a purely tactical point of view or whatever. we're going to do a beyond the scoreboard next week i'm looking forward to that we'll probably get questions and stuff but see and i, I reckon adam Oye will come up quite a bit what what is it about adam Oye that Ange likes is well, it just because he trusts them is it it's, it's, it's that simple it's probably a case of maybe not getting all the players he, he wanted first of all he, he trusts them he obviously thinks he can do a specific job i think in the short term but it's also do you think he's been? I'm going to jump out. Do you think he? Do you, Christian Wolf, think he's been detrimental to Celtic since he's played? And that doesn't necessarily mean that if he hadn't played, we would have scored ten more goals, or you know, the games we lost against St. Mirren was because of him fully. But do you think he's been a little bit detrimental to the squad, or to the formation well, I, and how we play? I don't think he's a great fit. But just now, I think the issue is it's him or David Turnbull, and I don't think either of them are, are, are a great fit. But it's just, it's almost, it's not inconsequential how good Aaron Moy is, but it's its the process that brought Aaron Moy to the club. You know, that a 31-year-old... 33? Uh, above 30, right? <laughs> Hardly played for years, played in China. And then that just a red flag in terms of the whole 
transfer recruitment process. And maybe Ange came like, I, I need somebody. I know he can do it. He can come. It's an easy transfer. Let's bring him. I do you think if you had a working transfer recruitment process that that process would spit out Aaron Moya's answer, even if even if you needed somebody experienced? I don't think so. So, but I can. It's probably understandable why Ange brought him in uh, because he trusts him. He brings him in, but. I, I, it's, that's one of the things with Ange I'm like I really didn't like the way that signing came out I don't really particularly like the way he fits into the system as well um, but I don't think he's a bad footballer I don't think he's I don't think he's a bad footballer I, he's, always, he's got obvious qualities he, he does but I think I think I kind of think like Turnbull he would fit in other teams really well you know the Rogers team the, the, the Lennon team for, for different reasons obviously but what I don't understand is the way we play and everything, like even Matt putting Matt O'Reilly to the six, Matt O'Reilly's performed well at the six. But we brought this Abelgarden guy in, and yeah. you did the stats report on him, and he looked fantastic. And we I, I, we all understand that stats aren't the whole picture, but it's an important picture. I think it's an important part of the picture. What the fuck? <laughs> well, I, I why think, bring this guy in? And I not don't play think him? you can look at Aaron Moy in isolation and not look at Abelgar at the same yeah. time because even though Abelgar was late. And maybe opportunistic. Why? You know, that's just a red flag for me in, in terms of you bring in Aaron Moy and play him, and you bring in Abelgard and don't. And don't tell me Abelgard is anyway less fit than Aaron Moy, who's play, hardly played in China for a year, and he's been playing in, in, in Russia, you know, which is a good league. And okay, he's maybe lost a bit of preseason, but. I'm, I'm not buying that. So that tells me that something is wrong with the transfer recruitment process. And it's also, but it, it, it's a thing of, you have to, talk about that structure. That structure has to be ruthless and firm. So in, it has to be, uh, you know, an overall philosophy, a director of football says, no, I'm not going to bring in Aaron Moy. I'm sorry. You know, I'll give you some alternatives. And it's director of football's job to have put in place a process that gives you good alternatives. And, that can actually go and conclude those deals. Because I think we have a tendency to go, oh, surely Celtic's got a better recruitment process now. Surely you got the analysts, the scouts, and people, and, you know, look at the video to come up with better suggestions. And my, this is just speculation, a hunch, but I think that is in place to a degree. But I think there's also a lack of competence in moving quickly enough and concluding those deals and that comes back to guys like Michael Nicholson and others that you need competence on that level as well who can go and be deal makers yeah, essentially so, so you, and you look at the the big deals under um, in this era the Japanese players right I mean that's, that's Danny, admin Danny yeah admin paperwork yeah but Danny it's Ange. not a difficult deal Matt O'Reilly release clause you know from League One fine Haxabanovich Abil Gore players who needed to get away quickly exploiting a, a loophole if you will yeah it's, it's not it's, so do I have confidence in the people at Celtic above Ange above the transfer team it's like when they say okay here's three four players for them to A move quickly enough to move well enough or even just going uh, actually just signing it off no I don't and I think that's where I again speculation I think that's where Aaron Moy comes in where Ange maybe is a bit frustrated and he goes well I know Aaron Moy. I know he can do a job. That's that's a very easy transfer to make, and also it won't cost the club much. Will it? So, what the fuck does Mark Lowell do then? Like, what's Mark Lowell's well, role? 
so that'll be interesting. I, I mean, he comes in in summer, and he should be able to be the person who coordinates that structure that spits out those good alternatives. But I think I, I, after that, who makes the deal? Who signs off on it? Who, who actually... I don't think that's Mark Lowell's job. So you know, it's, Mark Lowell, bit, it's Mark Lowell's job just to offer alternatives? I think he should be in charge of a process that where at any time you should be aware and have a list of the six, seven best alternatives in that position, in every position. And then, and that comes with putting in place a structure, but having the network, you know, being, you know, keeping, <laughs> you know, dealing with agents, dealing with clubs, knowing what who's going on and having those conversations. So, so he should be in part of, he should be in charge of the process that if Ange says, I don't know, pick a position at random, say right back, completely at random. Okay, we need a right back. Gonna need it now in January. Can you give me four or five alternatives? That should be a ticking process that they can go, okay, here's four or five alternatives. This is who we're looking at. And then, you know, you can then make a decision, go and make those deals. But are Celtic, do they have the competence above Mark Lowell to go and do that and do it quickly and have the willingness to do that? So, so like, so like my big fear, right, as just a purely a fan of Celtic, right? My big fear is that. See all the stuff when you hear Ange talking. It was the day of the AGM when he's talking about an agile strategy mm-hmm. and talking about being aggressive and all that and a turnover of players and all that. Fair enough, I totally get that. But I don't, and it always comes back to this for me, I just don't trust the board and I don't trust the, the guy who owns the club to do the right thing. Yeah. My point is, how long do you think it goes before Ange goes, ah, fuck, you're not doing what I want to do? Because see if we get... Guaranteed Champions League next season, yeah. and the board go. We spent a lot last season, so we're going to give you instead of giving you an X amount of money, we're going to just try and eke it out a little bit. Is yeah. that okay? I think Andrew I mean, will fucking no. <laughs> proof is in the pudding, right? Because if you get Champions League, which you probably know in springtime, if Scotland will get we're that, st- we're still on and, course at this and, point. And if you know nine points clear, that point you fairly certain. So, and then Mark Lowell have been in place since the summer, so there's no really any. Any reason why you shouldn't have be able to do that and do that? So the proof is in the pudding there. But somebody else who said about long term planning and Celtic to get better, how a process strikes. Did you know a guy who said that last summer? Who? Hey. Domakai. And Domakai, he might have been a total donkey, or maybe he wanted to change things too much and have too much control. And that was just too much for the board, and they didn't want to lose that control. Yeah, it was disappointing to see so, a, a lot of um, <coughs> other fan media outlets just peddling. Yeah, let's the since we're the shit. <laughs> because like Celtic briefed fan media, right? Yeah, and they said, ah, it just wasn't up to. It. And to repeat that as as fact, it's just like I mean, we didn't, come on. I don't think we even put. I mean, that's it. it's just ridiculous. I know for could, fact, could it be true? Maybe, but probably not. So, well, so you need to like. And Domakai always has some sort of... He's not going to come out and say what happened. You know, that's part of the settlement. So, but if you bring in a CEO before the summer, he comes and puts a plan out and he says the things you want to hear. And then just after transfer, do you let him go? Like your first new CEO in, what, 15, 20 years? Obviously, not something is not yeah. right there. Uh, right. Yeah, just from our perspective, we got... There was certain contact... Yeah. I know for a fact that Don McKay was trying to implement things uh, from not just the men's first team, from other first teams hmm. in a very positive light. And, uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's... Uh, and we, sense, we, we don't know, ultimately, but 
you know, we're not going to sit here and say he was terrible because the club told us, because I just don't trust the club so as far as I can throw them, frankly. So this is a thing with Celtic as well. Celtic will never get to a point where it's so bad that, it, you know, it will be a whole-scale revolt, I think. You know, okay, the Lennon stuff, but see how quickly that Lennon process died out as soon as you got in a competent manager. All right, it's, it's only a Celtic board is only a league championship away for everything being okay again. Whereas the financial advantage that board has compared to pretty much any other club is ridiculous. Here, here's what I disagree with you. I think you're right, but here's what I disagree. I genuinely think Ange Postacoglu has done something to the support in that if the board were to treat him badly or he was to quit because he wasn't getting fully booked or anything booked fully uh, kind of backed or whatever I think that this club support are so enamoured and so connected with Ange Postacoglu that if the board done something stupid with him I think the fans would react differently to what they would have before two words Brendan Rodgers Brendan Rodgers biggest crime was that he let the board off the hook because if he'd waited to the summer and said those things yes, you said yeah, now, yeah, yeah, absolutely. the board would have got pelters. Because I guess he is Brendan Rodgers and he goes early, all the fans forget about that. Brendan Rodgers was probably treated, not treated, but the board didn't back him in the same way. They might end up not backing Ange Postacoglu, right? So, But say if Ange goes to a club and if he goes in the summer and it's not a totally happy, <laughs> happy ending, happy ending, do you think? Do you not think a large part of the support will go? Oh, Anstorat. If he goes if, when? If 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 he goes and not maybe exact the same circumstances as Brendan Rodgers, but I if would, he goes, I would. <laughs> I, I just think that will let the board off, off the hook again. Yeah, so I, it can easily happen again. I, I just think I just honestly think uh, ditching Celtic in April, no matter who you are, when the league isn't confirmed. No, but everything I, you said about the board here yeah, yeah. was still true. It was Brendan Rodgers. He shouldn't I, have gone then, but. He would have gone in the summer. I've never trusted the board in my life, and there's plenty of us who don't, no matter what they do. Even but I'm saying even the board can treat a manager a certain way anyway. Yeah. And a large part of the support will still fall back on the side of what they see as the club, but it really is the board, the PLC. So, but because the fact that you leave Celtic will automatically put you in a position with a lot of fans where they take what they see as the club side whereas who that side they're actually taking is the board I, I think that I think that you're right I also think it's not as simple as that I, I think that there is a, a part of the there's a part of the support that Celtic is everything to the I include myself but you know that anyone's showing Celtic disrespect in any way yeah. is unforgivable and I include players and all that so I understand that I, 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 do, I do think that you have to leave a club right. So if Ange left in the April and he came out with a statement saying, if he didn't go to another club, yeah, and he, come, he leaves in April and he says, I can't work under these circumstances and here's exactly why, this is what they're doing to your football club, that's very different from him joining Brentford or like just being like, oh, you know, because you're right, Roger still could have came out with something, he, still, he never has. So Rogers could have came out with a, a statement that said, "Here's the real reason I left," yeah. but he, he never has. But then so again, that's to be tested in but, a way. But, but then guess. again, yeah. But then again, maybe Rogers thought that was smarter overall to not 
bad mafia. <laughs> well, I mean, well, and which is which well, most people maybe do. I, I don't think. I don't think. So no, but I, I understand what you're saying in terms of Celtic is everything to you. Every sort of sign of disrespect is going to put you against that, right? That's why fans are absolutely entitled to do that. But that's what what I'm saying. That is that is the explanation why board that board keeps getting away with it. Of course. So th- this, those two are linked. You got to remember though, like before, like so my dad, my dad always tells me about like you know what happened in 1984 with the, yeah. the, the the Celts, right? The, the Celts for change and all that. The, everyone knew that the board had been ripping the balls at the club for 20, 30 years beforehand mm. and didn't do anything because the club were successful. Mm. It's not a new phenomenon. It's yeah. not like this set of sub- young supporters are thinking. It, it's uh, until you're brought down to that kind of level of. We're in real big trouble here. That's when. That's probably the only time the fans will react. Except Rangers fans, it turns out. <laughs> you you must. Be, I think f- for this to for the board to be held to be count, you have to be able to disconnect the club to yeah. the board. Uh, uh, yeah, I, right. Yeah. And, and it's just because somebody leaves Celtic in in quote unquote the wrong way doesn't mean that the other part of that, essentially the board, is in the clear. Like so, I, I think that's where I think this cycle can be kept repeated with Ange as well. I, I think there's an absolute possibility that, that happens. It just depends on how Ange goes. Yes, it probably does, but it shouldn't really. I mean, I, I know what you're saying, but if Ange says in the summer, even the summer, look, I'm going to go to Everton or Brentford. And so you do that. What does, how does the fans react? It depends who comes in. It really does as but well. But it shouldn't though. Yeah, and yeah. You know, but I, I know it, if it's suddenly the structure is in place, you bring in somebody else and keep sticking over. Yeah, if, the, if Ange left and the club reacted, but you think responded correctly. Do you correctly. think they would blame Ange or the board if he like, le- left in the summer? Who they support? I think the support is very different now than it was two years ago. I still think you've got a lot of people who, like you say, see the club as simply everything connected with mm. the club. Absolutely, but I think that people are potentially waking up a little bit. The cost of living crisis is making people say, "Why aren't the club doing more?" How much they putting up? The pr- simple things like putting up the prices in the fucking uh, concourse for to buy a sausage roll. People are, I think, people are getting a little bit more annoyed. Would it bring on a full scale revolt? When do, when does any football club really, from a position of strength, change their board without it when they're on a without something happening to the point where they're in danger of going out of business, when yeah. does a board actually get changed? Very rarely in sports. And, it, and especially the way Celtic is structured, there's really not much you can do. The only thing you can do is a collective fan organisation on a much bigger scale than you have now. And I think it, there's been signs of that, but there's things like well, you know, like the, the trust the Celtic shared with what the Green Brigade is trying to do. They get a lot more backing for that for the rest of the support when things are not going well on the pitch yeah. right and as soon as Celtic kind of start winning the league it all goes away even though Celtic can be a lot better Celtic have a very incompetent board but they keep winning things because of the financial situation they're in that is as simple as that I and mean, if, if that cycle is going to continue you can't have the, the club can't be run by the, in the way it's done now. I mean the, the fact of the matter is myself Bowed, Barry, a few bunch of other people were standing in the pouring rain when Celtic were playing Dundee. There was 300 of us. I thought there would have been more. Hmm. I don't know. Um, it's just disappointing. Listen, Christian, we're at, we're at our time. I had another I had another question. The other question was, what's your favourite stat? <laughs> My favourite stat? If you had to pick like, one stat. 
I think it's probably a whole other podcast. I think my relationship with data changes the more and more I've worked with it for more years. So I think something me and Stephen talk about a lot as well, we're incredibly distrustful of data now. Not all data, but I think part oh, of learning how to deal with data is learning what data is useful, what is repeatable, what is actually and when and how to use it. Right, so I think my favorite. So, but we come back to a few key elements if you want to look at that. I think stuff like XG, and from that X points is a really, really good indicator to to cut through a lot of the shit. There's still a lot of fall pits in it, and there's still a lot of things within it that you need to be aware of. But I think that's a really good first overview of over stats. And I think stats can be used well in different ways, like. Like recruitment as a filtering tool, it's amazing because you would never be able to cover recruitment in a way. On, I think properly, it, it, data filtering in recruitment is is really really good. You still need to know what to look for in the pitfalls, and you have to back it up with loads of analysis, video analysis, and stuff like that. But see, player evaluation in your own team, for example, just based on stats, you can tell you a lot of things about what they're doing, how the team is playing. And there's a few things that's more useful than others, but to use it to evaluate a player's performance, say you say Juranovic and Ralston, for example, or, or Taylor and Bernabe, if you just sit and look at the stats and then try to fit your conclusions or your views around the stats, I think you're on a hiding to nothing. There's so many analysis, analysis accounts that do that. And I think it's part of watching back the game. Like I watched pretty much every game twice. I, Not that I don't, I trust my eyes, really. Like, it sounds stu- stupid, right? And I, I still use data, and I use it to back things up, and I to find out things. But if you can watch a team two, three times, and it's going to sound pretentious, if you know, if if you have a certain way of looking at it, I, I think you can tell from that that's better than just looking at the data yeah. or just basing your opinions off data. But you can't do that for other teams. So for your position analysis, you need to use style because you don't have the time to watch every game three times you don't have time to watch if you want to go out and find a player watch all the players in a league three times like you know, you know what i mean so it's i think people who are good with data are inherently distrustful of the data and what they're saying you have to be very very critical of it you have to be able to pick out what which data is, is the good ones when to use it and how to use it christian we could have spoke for another three or four oh, hours let's do this another time but we'll do it another time yeah. uh, christian wolf pleasure as always sir I thought you were going to give me a handshake there. I'm just... Is more thanks? A weird it's been my pleasure. And now I have to go and get my flu jab. So hopefully... It says your age. Uh, <laughs> Christian Wolf, <laughs> uh, pleasure as always. I'm Chris Gallagher. This has been The Social.